Well, Tramel Orr, amen. We love this man. I've known him for many, many years. Incredible uh, friend of, of Pastor Sean for many, many years. Uh, he's the executive pastor at Impact Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, he's been working with, uh, with teenagers and young adults for over 20 years. That's why we brought him to this service for all of you young people that are here this morning. Uh, man, different environments, churches, community events, school campuses. He's traveled all over the United States. Speaking at conferences, retreats, uh, churches, public school assemblies. Uh, he is a dynamic and engaging executive organizational leadership professional. Say that three times. With more than 20 years of leadership and team building experience in a ministry context. He is a husband of nearly 20 years, father of one son, lives in North Phoenix, Arizona. Would you make our friend Pastor Trevor? Mel, welcome in this house today. Well, good morning, Grace Place. Can you make some noise in the building this morning? I've been praying, thinking a lot about this particular moment, and, and I want you to know, and I say this sincerely, I believe I'm here on assignment. I believe I have a word for this house, and as I begin to think, pray, and process through what I would say this morning, uh, I wrote like three messages, and they were, they were awesome messages. I mean, listen, they were so good. I was shouting in my, in my office. I gave myself a love offering, and, I sent, and then I sent myself on a missions trip. That's how good it was. It was a powerful word, and then I realized it was a powerful word, but it wasn't a powerful word for this church. Hello? Come on, you got to talk back to me. I came to preach this morning. I'm serious. We're just getting started. If you're waiting for it to get good, we've already started preaching. Um, But I really believe I have a word for this church. And it's not by accident that um, several years ago, God gave Pastor Mike the name Grace Place. Um, It's not by accident at all. It's not an accidental name um, that God spoke this name to existence. Um, See, Grace it's the love of God shown to the unlovely. It's the peace of God given to the restless. It's the unmerited favor of God. It's, it's literally the, the word approval or the word favor or the word undeserved favor. This place is a place for everyone. Would you look around the room for a moment and just this morning can attest to the different ethnicities that are here this morning, the different age groups that are here this morning, the nations that are represented here this morning. It is a place for everyone. And it's ironic that, you, that God would place you right here in Arlington, a very diverse city, a melting pot for people. And let me say this. Hey, Grace Place is just getting started. Okay, I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. Grace Place is just getting started. Your best days are not behind. Uh, you're not even standing in your best days. Your best days are ahead of you. I believe that by faith. And this morning, I came to encourage you with a word that I believe is going to help us see what God's doing all amongst you, all throughout your small groups, all throughout the Bible studies that's going on, all throughout the services, all throughout your volunteer group. Also, what God will continue to do all throughout this city. See, for years, I thought grace was just a buzzword. You hear this word grace, you're like, oh, yeah, grace. Oh, yeah, I mean, um, but, but grace is not just a buzzword. Come on, talk back to me. Grace is a person. And, and grace is the character trait uh, uh, and the disposition uh, of the nature of God. 
And so it's, 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 it's like this. It's grace is um, how God moved himself towards and treated himself towards sinners before they ever deserved it. Let me, let me, how many got to hear this morning? Uh, you, you, you found Jesus at a place of grace. Come on. He, he met you in your point of need. Come on. He, he met you in your point of break, uh, brokenness. He met you in a place where you desperately needed him. And all across this room, there's stories of that grace. In Matthew 22, it's our theme verse for this conference. Uh, Jesus was asked a very interesting question. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and look at Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. Um, and he, he's asked this very, very interesting question. It'll be our springboard for, ten, for this morning. And I promise you, I'll bring you back to it later on and drop you off in God's presence. Uh, but it says this. But when the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert of religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Here's the question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment of the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Stop right here. here. This is the first and greatest commandment. Here's the, here's the second one. This, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Interesting that the entire law, 613 commandments, and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two Commandments. Think about that for a moment. 613 commandments and laws. Jesus goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 7. And here's what it says. Listen to Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments that I'm giving to you today. Here's the part I love. Repeat them again and again to your children, heritage. Talk about them when you're at home, come on, in the crib. And when you're at the road, and when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Everything hangs on these two Loss. See, life is about relationships. Watch this. A relationship with God and a relationship with people. These two go together. You cannot separate the two from each other. This morning, if you'll bow your head for a moment, I want to pray as we continue on. Jesus, we thank you that this morning we get the opportunity to see you a little bit more clearly. This morning, God, I pray for my friends, our family, God. I I pray that we'll begin to see you like you want to be seen. You've always had a plan for hurting humanity, God. You've always had a personal, personal 
heart to see each person come to know you. And to this morning, God, I pray through the person of Jesus that we will see you clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, family, I am, I am uh, a person that grew up um, uh, watching wrestling. Um, I'm, I'm a, I, am a, I am a wrestling fanatic. I am uh, a person that grew up with all the, okay, let me, let me, let me talk back. And, and if you are a grandparent in here, you can attest to this. If you're a parent in here, you can get this. Uh, I, I am, I'm a person that was back in the Hulk Hogan days. Come on. Hulkamania. Come on, somebody. You know, the Hulkamania is in here. Come on. I, I was, I was in the, the uh, ultimate warrior phase of my life. Um, the, the Ted DiBiase. Come on. Ted DiBiase. I, I really, really loved wrestling. Um, and, and, and I, I would probably say that, that in here this morning, um, we, we, we have some wrestlers in here. I, I mean, me personally, I mean, if you give me a chance, I might just uh, body slam you. Um, I, I might just give you a knuckle noogie. I might, you should never know what might happen with me. Um, I might just hug you to death. Um, uh, but, but, but I'm a wrestler. I, I'm just, and I know you're thinking to yourself, well, of course, you're a big guy, you're a wrestler. But I'm telling you, even when I was a small guy, I was a wrestler. Um, but, but I wrestle um, with, with, with things. I, I probably was saying this morning that we all in here um, are wrestlers. That we all in here wrestle with uh, things. And I'm not, I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about we wrestle with, with things. We, we, we wrestle with the idea of, of can God really do what he says that he would do? Is God really who he says that he is? Uh, uh, we wrestle with things because that is part of our human element. Our human nature is to wrestle. It's a universal thing that all the humanity deals with. This, this whole idea is, watch this. What is God like? Think about that for a minute. What is God like. And based on your experience or based on your upbringing or based on how you're raised or based on your, your um, spiritual uh, heritage, uh, we, we all have different ideas of what we would say that God is like. Some people here were raised Catholic. So for you, uh, you might think God is rules and regulations and uh, you know, I got to go to, the, to the, the priest and ask for forgiveness. For other people to hear, you might have been raised uh, Pentecostal. And, and for you, you're like, man, God is, God is all about miracles. And based on your context, uh, we all have have a different um, background and experience. Maybe you wasn't raised in church and maybe you go, I have no context of what God is or whatever it is, every person here wrestles with this idea. What is, what is, what is, what is God like? What, what's, what's, what is God like? Um, um, I, I love this statement that A.W. Tozer says. He says, we wonder why we don't have faith the answer is faith is confidence, watch this, in the character of God. And if we don't know what kind of God, what kind of, if we don't know what kind of God God is, we can't have faith. Yeah. Family, I believe that I'm on assignment today to help paint a different picture for us about the God that we serve. And at this renewed conference which the word renew simply means to make like new, to restore to perfection. My goal and my assignment is to, at some point in our journey together in this message, to paint the picture of perfection of what God is like for us.
See, my wrestle oftentimes with, with this whole idea, what is God like? The, my wrestle, my challenge, if you will, my, my, my confusion sometimes, my uncertainty sometimes, my can, can, I, can I trust God uh, to, to, to be who he, that he says that he is? How can I trust someone that I've never seen nor have I touched? And oftentimes the picture that has been painted about who God is oftentimes has been an unhealthy picture painted. Religion has painted the picture of God to some of us as schizophrenic. If we do good, we get good. Um, if, we, if we do bad, you never know. God might slice our tires. Um, you, know, you know, karma is, you know, just so you know, karma is not in scripture, by the way. And, but, but some people have this idea of karma. And so some people have this whole idea that I can have a little bit of Jesus, uh, a little bit of crystals, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. When Jesus is clear that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'm the door. Come on. He said, I'm the only way to the Father. Come on. Can somebody help me preach this morning? So Jesus is clear about who he is. So maybe today you grew up in one of those contexts. Maybe you grew up uncertain of how God felt about you. Maybe the picture that was painted for you was an unhealthy picture. Maybe the God that you've known has been the God of schizophrenia. Maybe the God that you know is the God that brings punishment and judgment to you. Or maybe the God that you know is the God that skips around and leaves and pedals. Whatever picture you've been painted, I, I want to paint the picture for you that we see in John 14, verse 7 through 10. Because scripture, I believe, paints the greatest picture, the greatest picture through the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And here's what it says. If you had known me, you have known my father also. From now on, you do not know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. I love what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever seen the Father, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Watch this. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. See, Jesus did not come to persuade the Father about us. He came to persuade us about the Father. I'll say it one more time. Jesus did not come to persuade the Father about us. Oh, oh, God's been clear since Genesis about his love for us, his everlasting love for us. It's never changed. He's never wavered. He's never changed his mind about us. He, he, he had a plan all the way back in Genesis of how he would reconcile the world back to himself. That's why the Bible is clear when he says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth. Jesus is not God's plan. B, Jesus is always God's plan. A, he always had a plan to reconcile this story back to himself, this love affair back to himself. His plan for humanity has already been set. And he sent Jesus to remind us of that. He sent Jesus to remind us of this phrase, whoever seen me has seen the Father. So what is God like? See, Jesus is the best picture of who God is and what God is like. And Jesus is the person of grace. And he, Jesus is the person of grace. And grace is the love of God shown to unlovely, the peace of God given to the restless, and the unmerited favor 
of God. Grace is not just something. Grace is someone. And Jesus paints the picture further in Luke, verse 17 through 20, verse through 21. The Pharisees are there, and they begin to gather around Jesus. And one of the Pharisees asked Jesus this question, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visual signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God, I could take off running. For the kingdom of God, it's already among us. Point number one, grace came down and walked among us. If you want to see the picture of what God is like, search the scriptures. And when you see Jesus, you see God. When you want to know how God functions and how God thinks about you individually, what God thinks about humanity at large, search the scriptures to find the person of Jesus. The unfortunate thing about it oftentimes what happened was is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, because they knew the, the, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they were raised up in this whole thing. They knew the scriptures back and forth. For whatever reason, they missed Jesus. They were looking for a Messiah to come overthrow the government. They were looking for someone that would come mean and tough. They were looking for some, someone to come that would just shake up everything. But Jesus came, not like anyone they had ever seen before. Okay, let me, let me, let me say it like this. A fighter fighter goes into the burning house to rescue those inside. He can't stand outside and say, come out before the house burns down. He has to go inside to rescue those that are desperately in need. So Jesus just stands for heaven and say, hey! Hey, you're going you're to die and, and, and be completely separated from God. Jesus goes, no, I'm going to go down and be amongst them so they can see what I'm like. If they see what I'm like, maybe they'll see what he's like. And all the other things that I'm going to do, all the miracles and all the different things were, 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 were byproducts of the, the, the purpose and goal of me coming, which was the cross. But I want them to see a different picture of God. I love how one writer puts it. He, he says this, grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Okay, okay, you don't believe. Okay, John 3, verse 17 says it like this. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior, watch this, and rescue it. So point number two, grace meets people at their point of pain. Grace meets people at their point of pain. Let me, let me stop for a moment. Because I feel the tension in the room. I feel some people like, yeah, but pastor, but you don't understand, but you don't know my circumstance. My, my pain is too deep, pastor. Most people wouldn't understand. I'm going to just stop for a moment and think about where you were when you met Grace. Think about where you were when you met Grace. See, I would probably actually say, 
When you met him, for you, it was, your, it was the place called grace. A, a, a moment in time that you'll never forget for the, as long as you live. You, you, you can never, ever forget the time that he pulled you out of what you were into. You can never forget the time where he changed your heart radically. You can never forget the time where you were one thing and all of a sudden you met grace at that place and you were changed forever. You'll never forget the moment where your life was changed because grace meets people at their point of pain. Here's what it says in Mark 2, verse 2 through 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was standing, or staying, excuse me, was packed with visitors. There were no room, no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, listen to this, your sins are forgiven. Underline that. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. This phrase is huge because Jesus could have said, be healed. But for that man, it wasn't just his body that needed to be healed. It was his heart that needed to be renewed. It was his heart that needed to be changed. Then watch what he says. But some of the teachers of, of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemous. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were, talk, what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Wait, so Jesus could have said to this man, be healed, but he said, you're forgiven because Jesus dealt with his heart. <laughs> but he talks to these Pharisees and instead of him confronting them in this awkward weird manner, he confronts their heart. Wow. Then he says this, it is easy to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. He healed his heart, then he healed his body. What's more important, his body being healed or his heart being changed? Verse 12, and the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the uh, stunned outlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Do do you see the picture? The the, the difference is to those confident in their own righteousness, Jesus gives them the law. But to those living with shame and condemnation and brokenness, Jesus gives grace. He gives grace because, not because of what he does. He gives grace because that's who he is. The genius of Jesus 
the genius of Jesus in this moment is that he meets every single person at their point of need. The self-righteous needed the law. The hurting needed grace. See, he surely in that very moment could have shut up the self-righteous. But Jesus wanted to make sure that they also had an opportunity to receive grace. To the people that boast of their righteousness, he gave them what they needed. To the people that needed to be healed, he gave them what they needed. See, the picture that's been painted about who God is, is important. The best way for us to see God is to see Jesus. See, life's trials, they don't reveal to us anything but our need for God. It doesn't reveal that you have the right stuff, that you could, you could white-knuckle it. It doesn't reveal that, you, um, that you've been in this Christian thing for a long time. It, it, doesn't reveal, it reveals that we need a Savior. And listen, today, if you've been through tough times, if you've walked through the hurt and pain that comes with this thing called life, how many of you guys know if you've lived long enough, you've experienced life? And the longer you live, you understand that things happen in this world that we can't control. And the only thing that we can control is how we respond when Jesus allows us to respond to him. So look again at the picture. Look again at the picture that's been painted about God. For a lot of years, I lived in this place called fear. Because the picture that had been painted of, to me was a God that was always mad at me. And even as a young preacher, preaching to people about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and I would walk off the stage and didn't believe it for myself. I spent many, many nights laying in my bed scared and uncertain of my, 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 my salvation, uncertain of my security with God. And listen, there is a, a fear we should have. God. But the fear we should have is the fear to worship him. The fear that causes us to be in awe and reverence due to his name. The fear that comes with being blown away by how good and faithful that he is. The fear, the fear of us having awe of him. Not the fear of punishment, not the fear of an angry God, not the fear of a God that when we do bad, he turns his head from us, and when we do good, he smiles at us. Can I tell you, friends, today, through the person of Jesus Christ, there is a smile on God's face, there's a happiness on his face. Guess what? He's madly in love with you, he's passionate with, about you, and we see that in the person of Jesus Christ. Why would I be hopeful today? I'll be hopeful today because the picture that's been painted about who God is is through the person of Jesus. Why? Because the cross lets us know that he's madly in love with us. Oh, friends, that's such a good thing today to know that the cross paints a picture of God's everlasting love for us, that he sent his son to stand in behalf of us because of our sin, because of our, our unfaithfulness to him. And thank God that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. Or listen, listen, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't know what to do with my life. I would definitely wouldn't be here preaching. Hello? And so thank God for the cross. Can anybody testify about the goodness of the cross? Think about it. Think about for a moment when you met Jesus at the place called grace. Oh, friends, the cross was good. 
Oh, but you know what got better? Is that he went to a tomb. Come on. And three days later, he got back up. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. If our faith is based on a, a, a Savior on the cross, listen, that's no good. But the power is not just a cross, but the power is the fact that he got up. Yeah. Whew. I feel like preaching. I got 10 minutes. And I'm about to close this thing out. See, we see a similar story in Matthew 22. The story, the story that we kicked off today. And Jesus uses this phrase that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your mind. First commandment. But he said the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, the whole thing, over 600 laws and regulations, all of it hangs on these two things. Jesus came and took 600 plus laws and summed it up in two things. I love what the writer Max Lucado says. He says, grace is God's best idea. He decides to ravage a people by love, to, to rescue passionately and restore justly. He says, no one rivals his wondrous works. See, grace is God's best idea. Can, can I tell you today, I would love to tell you that I love God with all my heart and all my soul. But for sometimes I just don't feel like loving God with all my heart and all my soul. Oh, sometimes, friends, doubt gets inside of my heart. Oh, sometimes, friends, um, I got to be honest with you, my neighbor... Anybody got some bad neighbors? Come on, somebody. Your neighbor might not live next to you, but they might be in your cubicle next to you. Come on. Your neighbor might be at Chick-fil-A drive, a drive-thru. Come on. Come on. By the way, in Chick-fil-A, Heavenly. Oh, Jesus. I'm just saying. But they, but they might be the person that cuts you off on the freeway. Come on. How many of you know sometimes you want to strangle your neighbor? Come on. So sometimes it's hard to love the Lord thy God with all my heart, with all my soul, and to love my neighbor, Jesus, that's added stuff I got to do. But the grace we need comes from him. When we're reminded where we met him, we realize that we're in the same boat as everyone else. Jesus tells a story that I love. He says in Matthew 9, verse 10 through 13. And worship, you can start making your way back up. He says this, this, this here, and I'm going to end with this, this story. Because I think it's powerful, and I think it ties together a place called grace. Here's what it says. I'm reading from the message version. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, he, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and misfits? That's what Jesus says. Jesus, overhearing, shot back. Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? Then he goes, go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not cuddle with insiders. See, everything, yes, everything in scripture has to do with everything. Yeah. 
Nothing in scripture is written there on accident. So let me back this thing up to Matthew 7 and Matthew 8. Because here's a few stories that have a similar thought process that Jesus says. So, so Jesus, in Matthew 7, he, he's preaching on the mountain and he's uh, talking about the Beatitudes. And he's just finishing the greatest sermon in hu- human history. He, he's teaching about salt and light. He's teaching about love for enemies. He's teaching about giving to the needy. He, he does this whole thing about do not judge others. He talks about this whole thing about the golden rule. Uh, he talks about the narrow gate. He talks about what it means to be a true disciple. And then he goes on this whole rampage about building a solid foundation. Uh, let, me, let me stop here and actually read this for you. No one who says this to me, this is Jesus talking, Lord, Lord, we're into to have his kingdom. It's only those who persist in doing the will of my father. On the day of judgment, many of you will say, Lord, Lord, do you, do you not remember us? This word, this word right here that he says, remember, is this word, this word that we get, which means intimacy. Intimacy. He says, didn't we prophesy your name? Didn't we cast out demons and do miracles in your name? But I have to say this to them, go away from me, you lawless rebels. I've never been joined to you. Everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise man, watch this, who built his house on an unshakable foundation. When the rains fall and the flood came with fierce winds beating upon the house, it stood firm because of its strong foundation. But everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to his life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on sand. And when it rained and rained and the flood came with wind and waves beating upon the house, it collapsed and was swept away. By the time Jesus finished speaking, the crowds were awestruck by his teaching because his words carry so great authority, quite unlike the religious scholars. See, the Pharisees painted an unhealthy picture of what it meant to be, what it meant to have a relationship with God. They made it all about effort and behavior. And remember what I said, every story, everything in scripture has to do with everything. See, Matthew 8 Paints this picture too. Jesus heals a man with leprosy. He, he takes care of a Roman uh, uh, officer that had a lot of authority and his daughter was sick. And he, he comes to Jesus. He goes, Jesus, I know you're a busy man. I know you're, you're went to another city to heal the sick and all this stuff. But I heard rumors about you. And so if you would just go ahead and speak a word, my daughter would be healed. I know you can do it. And Jesus goes to his disciples, I've never seen such a great faith. Listen, go home. Check your daughter. She's healed. He goes home. The daughter is healed. Jesus heals many people. But then Jesus heals this man that we read earlier that was paralyzed. See, point number three, and I'm done. Grace changes the hearts of sick sinners into healthy saints. Only Jesus could change our hearts. And the byproduct of our hearts being changed and renewed, friends, is that the behavior begins to change as well. So when people come to a place, 
called grace comes to grace place at their brokenness and they're looking for someone to meet them. We could do all that we can. We could preach all that we can. We could lead worship all that we can. But the person has to step in to the gap and change everything and church a person's heart is the person of Jesus. And when he does that transformation power, what happens is all that was going on on the outside because of what happened on the inside because of change. And when they walk through the doors three weeks later, a month later, a year later, two weeks later, then you'll be able to see the change. You go, oh my God, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so is completely different now. Anybody else in this room had a life change where Jesus changed everything? You're not who you were anymore? Come on, somebody. And you're on the road to becoming all that God has called you to be. So who needs a doctor? Who needs a doctor? Is it the healthy or the sick? Oh, friends, it's actually both. It's actually both. See, Jesus was hanging with sinners. Watch this. But he was still around. He was still around the saints. Think about this. Jesus, at that moment, could have stopped and said, Pharisees, I, I hear what you're talking about. Be gone. But Jesus, watch this, set an example of what the saints are supposed to do when they're around sinners. Because the Bible's clear that Jesus was friends to sinners. Listen, friend, whenever we get to a point where we're so comfortable, watch this, being around people in here, that we're uncomfortable being around people out there, we need God to renew our heart. We need something fresh. We need a fresh word, a fresh revelation. We need to be reminded, watch this, of the picture that God's trying to paint for us through the person of Jesus. That's not about us in here and them out there. It's about us. That we'll all one day stand before him. And we'll all need the grace that we need. If you would this morning, if you bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Jesus, we're thankful that you met us at our point of need. That at a place called grace, you met us. God, let us be reminded today. Let us be reminded of the picture that you're trying to paint for us. When we wake up in the morning, let us be reminded of your unfailing love for us. God, when we're in the grocery store, God, when we're at school picking up our kids, God, when we're hanging with our grandkids, God, when we're out about in our neighborhood, let us be reminded of what you accomplished on all of our behalfs. That today, grace meets us at our point of pain. Grace meets us at our point of need. So God, I pray that today, God, that as we go through this renewed conference, you'll renew our hearts, set a fire ablaze on us, God, for people that are outside, people that are lost, people that are broken, people that need you, God. Let us be reminded, God, of what it felt like to be 
that person, God. No matter if we're that person at five years old, God, or whether we're that person at 55 years old, God. Let's be reminded of what you accomplished on our behalf, God. That we're no different from them, God. That we have a heaven to gain and a hell, I mean a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, God. That all of us need grace. We all need you. So God, we thank you for my grace place family. Let this be a place that people can encounter grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.